And the scripture is on the screen, but it's good to sometimes see it in your own Bible. This, the NIV translation, says this. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins to the riches of His grace. Can we read it together? Let's read it. One, two, three. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins to the riches of His grace. Oh, I'm excited. Father God, I pray this morning as we open your word, as we look into this verse, I pray would it illuminate in our hearts, would it come to life. I pray, God, for the power of God to be made manifest this morning. We're not a people who just talk about the kingdom of God. We are people who live the kingdom of God out. So I pray, God, may it begin here this morning. Amen. When I was much smaller than I am now, which is hard to believe... Fiona actually has, is trying to fasten me up as I go. I'm trying, earning grams as we go. But when I was much smaller, I grew up in Zimbabwe, and I have two older brothers, as some of you might know. They are older than me, they're bigger than me. But I had, so I was always the, the bit of the runt of the litter. I was a bit of the one on the side who was always left out as they went on adventures together, and I was left at home just watching. Sad. I know. But that's why, oh, you skip, you haven't got to wait for me, you've got to wait for me. That was a cue, but anyway, leave it up now. But what happened? There we are. But what is happening? The other fellow in that picture, so I'm the guy with the red hair, just in case anyone wants to know. The other fellow was my partner in crime. His name was Ben Van Vake, my cousin from down the road, literal cousin. And uh, we were naughty boys. We were the youngest. I was the youngest, so often forgotten. You're the oldest, so given a lot of attention. And the youngest, so they, oh, just make your way, do what you can. And he was the only boy in a family of girls. So we, had, we needed an outlet. And we, we were creative youngsters. And uh, so what we did, we were often never too far away from the wooden spoon because we were always up to no good. Um, but what, what we did one day, I just thought I'd share some confessions with you. One day what we did, what we thought was a wise thing to do, was in one holiday to print out a picture of a chocolate cake. Wonderful, wonderful. And what we did was we walked up and down our streets telling people that we were selling raffle tickets for this cake. <laughs> and look at us. Come on, of course you'll trust us, man. <laughs> Zim dollars were being thrown at us. Of course, young lad. I won't say that we made it a cause about it. Don't worry, we didn't. But we sold a lot of raffle tickets and we made a lot of money for two little boys with this chocolate cake picture. There was no, no reality to this picture, but we sold a lot of tickets to it. And we got home and we had all this money. We were so full of joy until our parents saw us with the money. They realized what had gone wrong and... Uh, our bums soon matched the color of my hair. And uh, the next day, it was very awkward to go back. We were forced to go back to every house and hand back and mumble an apology and give back money and say we lied. And it was a very embarrassing moment. Another moment we thought was quite good was we went, we were signed up. Our parents tried to get rid of us in the holidays, put us to any church that was doing any activity. Any parents know that, eh? Yeah, we know. Yeah, sign up. We, yes, we've always been a part of that movement, of course. And we went to this thing called Vacation Bible School, which was a week-long moment of singing Jewish songs and uh, doing arts and crafts, which is wonderful if you like that sort of stuff. But we didn't really, look at us, we, we, we pirate boys there, you know, we, we were not doing that stuff. So what we did was we, we took some money, stole some money from our, our parents' handbags, and we bought a little thing called a stink bomb, and we... We sat, sat strategically on either side of the, the pews. It was a very reformed, quiet church, singing Havena Shalom Alechem. And what we did was, that at, the, at the queue, we dropped our sing bombs and stepped on it, and a smell. 
wasn't the presence of God, but it was the smell. Just filled the room. And we thought this was incredibly hilarious until we felt these hands on our shoulders being ripped out of the pew. And the pastor's wife dragged both of us into the vestry on the side. And I kid you not, she had tears coming down her eyes. And she said to us, not in the house of God. Burnt in my soul. And I was reformed from that day and now I'm a pastor. Why I tell these silly stories is that what happened after that occasion was we were also rebuked severely rebuked severely and uh, we had to pay back this money we had to pay back the money that we stole and we also had to go and scrub the carpets of the stench and we, we, we really knew we were boys there were multiple stories of this we didn't learn our lesson first time sometimes it had to be put into us a few times but we were faced with this thing of debt so often that we were, we were young boys with no money and yet we were always paying stuff back we didn't understand how that worked <laughs> we were always paying for our debts wherever we went and uh, I think we're all very familiar with Silly stories like that. Maybe you were a young boy growing up in your house and you were a sportsman and that your mom said, do not play around the kitchen windows. But you had a lovely covered drive and you couldn't keep it down and went through the window broken, you had to pay that back. Anyone else identify with me? No. Or maybe you were somebody who borrowed your parents' car without asking. Another confession. And uh, the first time it happened, you crashed it in the driveway. And you had to pay back that as well. Yeah, we know these moments. But then maybe for you, it was buying that TV or that DSTV you couldn't quite afford. Despite your wife saying, don't do it. A- anyone. <laughs> sorry, just sorry. Just confession. Maybe and then you're in, you're in debt for that. Like, why? Silly decision. Or maybe you, you were just driving and the speeding sign said 60. But I don't know why. You went 80. And the flash went. Oh, not once, but twice the other day. Oh. <laughs> Maybe you like that. Maybe you like me, and you've got these moments where you're, you're haunted with the fact that you know an envelope's coming to your, your postbox with a fine that you'll have to pay. Or maybe it's a little bit more serious than that. Maybe you are in debt financially. You made silly decisions. And you have got this, this weight on your shoulders. Every day you wake up with debt. Maybe you are relationally so in debt that you have not spoken to a relative for so long that they're, or your wife with your wife, you're so at odds, you're just are two ships in the night, you don't even talk to each other anymore, but you're so in debt in that relationship. Or maybe whatever it is, we all understand the concept of debt. 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 Depth. Anyone know what depth is? I don't. Debt. We all understand the concept of debt, or maybe we actually don't by seeing the decisions we make. But today... I want to talk about this thing of debt. And I've got three understandings of it from this verse that we just read. Is that I'm praying that you would understand the debt that you and I owe spiritually. Secondly, I really want to, I want to push to the ends that you have to understand how much actually needs to be paid. Sometimes so many of us, we, just got, we know that we have to pay something, but we're not too sure what the plan, payment plan is going to look like. And we struggle with that weight for years. And I want to ask you the question, finally, I want to ask you this question this morning. Look you in the eyes and say, who is going to pay your debts? And I pray that the, the gravity of this will hit us hard this morning. Because we'll see where we go. The verse starts. We're going to work through this verse together. Verse 1 starts with, in Him. The first point this morning is, in Him. If you don't know the scripture, it's very easy. In Him we have redemption. The, the, by, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins to the praise of His grace. It starts with Him. This verse is incredible because it starts with in Him. It finishes with His glorious grace and in the middle is His blood. I want to tell you, this verse starts with God, it ends with God, and in the middle is God. Everywhere you look, it's God's work completely. 
I want to tell you it sounds like a clarion call because the problem with our modern day Christian culture, Christian culture we call it, sometimes in our pursuit of enlightenment or pursuit of spiritual high or maybe uh, trying to understand, get into a better yourself principles, trying to make my life a little bit better, we start always with ourselves. We always do. It's just human nature. We step into church. What do what you need to? My problems. My understanding. My, my deficiencies. My, my weaknesses. When this scripture starts, it says, in Him. Boldly it declares, in Him. I want to tell you this morning, this verse does not begin, this understanding of redemption and debts does not begin with your sin. It does not even start with your efforts, what, needs to be, what is required. It starts with, in Him. I want to help us this morning. It does not start with in you. Wonderful. It does not start with in church we have redemption. It does not start with in family relationships we have redemption. It starts with in Him. And I think the problem with Christianity today across the world is that we've just started with the benefits without knowing who's from. We've taken Christ out of this thing. We've taken God and it's become a modern day, it's become quite an atheistic thing actually where it's just a better myself, a pick-me-up service on a Sunday. It's all above me. When God starts off the clarion call, in Him we have redemption. I want to tell you the biggest, the most kind thing I can say this morning, and I've said it before, is that what you need to know is that you and I have to continually be set free of ourselves. We are slaves to ourselves, slaves to our understanding, slaves to, to our pleasure, slaves to our cravings, what we want, I want it, and this, church, this understanding of church and God has to fit into my liking, or I'm going to try another church, or I'm going to stay away for a bit. It didn't really work out for me, but it doesn't start within you, sir, ma'am. It starts within him. And I want to make this clear, because I've said this before, but I'll say it again and again and again because this is the most freeing thing I can say is that you'll go and you'll pay millions, you'll pay hundreds to go to conferences all around the world where somebody who's hyped up will tell you, you can do it. Today you're coming in for free, you're going to hear someone hyped up say, you can't do it. <laughs> you cannot do it. The most freeing thing I could say this morning is you can't do it. I'll tell you why. The problem with the way we read the Bible and forgive me if you've heard it before, but I want to say it again, is that we read the Bible with ourselves at the center of the story. We make ourselves the hero of the story. I want to tell you now, if you've read the story of David and Goliath, you might be familiar with it. So many preachers will preach David and Goliath, or we'll read it in this context, that I will read ourselves into the context, Goliath is my problems, I am David, and I can overcome them. Wrong. That is bad biblical interpretation of that story. Jesus is David. Goliath is the enemy. Do you know who you and I are? His brothers who are hiding, scared, petrified, watching David win the battle for them. That's who we are. Jesus is the hero of every story in the Bible. The Good Samaritan. We read the story as if it's an understanding of a moralistic, if we are good. Can I tell you who we are in that story, the Good Samaritan? We're the person who's dead, dying, and bleeding on the ground, who needs the Good Samaritan, Jesus, to come and save us. It's not a moralistic gospel of how can I get some lessons out of it. This whole gospel is to declare that you and I have nothing apart from Christ. In Him. Not in you. We are bankrupt. We are in debt. We are broken. We are needy. We are poor. We are beggars apart from Him. It starts in Him. I'll tell you the problem is that we, until we know how enslaved we were, we will not know how free we are. Until 
we know how enslaved we were, we will not know how free we are. I think the problem is we have become so inebriated, intoxicated, drunk on our own self-assumed goodness. We have the sliding scale of, at least I'm better than them, so I'm okay. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that political party leader. It's the thing. I'm not as bad as that person down the road. I'm not as bad as my boss. I'm okay. I'm all right. We, we love to perk ourselves up and try and find some good in ourselves. But the Bible says there is nothing good in you apart from Christ. In Him, it starts. The problem with this is because we so, come, we so assume that we're supposed to have this goodness, this self-worked goodness in our lives, it's supposed to be as we've, we've tagged on, and it's, it sometimes subtly happens. It starts off within Him, and it becomes in Him and me. And in me. It ends up just becoming, I have to find my way through this thing, or fight my way through this debt that I owe. That we start then trying to cover up our sins, cover up our shame, by throwing a, a, a cloak over it, either doing good works, and trying to prove to ourselves that we actually are not that bad. I'm, I'm actually not that bad. Look at me, I, I serve a church, I can't be that bad. So we cover it over. I'm not, I, don't, I don't shout at my wife, so I'm, I'm not that bad. So we cover it over. Or we go the other way and we just go, ah, to heck with all of it. I'm just going to go wildly to the left and sin crazily. I had this I thought that sometimes we behave like little children when mom and dad come and say, this mess, it's a pigsty. Tidy it up. So what we do is we shove it all in the cupboard. Like, well, that's fine. Everything's clean. Look, everything's clean. But a day will come when that stuff will be exposed. That thing will burst because you and I cannot clean up our mess. In Him. In Him. I want to tell you, no matter how you dress it up, a dead person is still a dead person. You might put him in a nice suit, you might put nice cologne on him, but you put him in a coffin, he's not moving. The Bible says that you and I were dead. We have to understand that we were dead. Apart from Christ, we were dead. And that's how we have to approach the scripture this morning. In Him, there is a debt that you owe that cannot be paid for, cannot be begged for, cannot be borrowed for, cannot be saved up for. There is a debt that is massive, that is looming over you and our heads that we cannot pay. It will crush us. But that's when this verse goes into part two, which says, In Him, we have redemption. Oh, wonderful. The word redemption, better understanding of it is the word ransom. Maybe you've heard the, ran- the word ransom. Jesus came and he said, I came to be a ransom for many. The problem is that we have an understanding of ransom of just kidnapping. You know, we see in our movies, we see the guy, the baddie with the mask, take someone, the, pr- the president's daughter, and he demands a ransom, and they pay for him. A, a better understanding of that is to understand slavery, what that actually looked like. So in, in, in the biblical times, what happened? One nation would come against a nation and they would clash, you would fight. And if you were a soldier in that battle and you weren't killed in battle and if you were defeated, the enemy, the other nation, would take you captive and they would make you their slave. The full weight of this, the anger they have against the nation that attacked them, the full, the full force of the loss that they've just experienced is put on you as a slave. You take bear the whole brunt of your nation's sin. You take it as a slave. And you are you kept a slave in that, in that realm for as long as it takes somebody from your area to come and pay an exorbitant fee for your release. A ransom. Simple? Forget it. I want to tell you why this is huge. It's because redemption is an economic term. 
It's not just a theological term. It's an economic term. It's not redemption in a sporting environment. He's got redemption. He's been able to score a penalty when he missed one last week. No, redemption is an economic term. There needs to be, it's a term that relates to debt, to being paid. A debt that is owed, a debt that is being paid. Simple. But the question we need to ask this morning is, redeem from what? What are we redeemed from? What is this debt that I owe? And I, that, I think the problem is we don't ask these questions. We just say, I have re- I've been redeemed, but we don't know from what. So I want to tell you, there's three things that Christ has brought our redemption for. The first thing is from sin. He has redeemed us from sin. The Bible says we were dead. And in sin, there's a, there's a power of sin and there's a penalty of sin. Both have equal weight over our lives. The penalty of sin is this. The Bible says clearly in the book of Romans, the wages of sin, another economic term, the wages of sin is death. Clear cut. There's no going around it. There's no better person. I'm okay person. I'm just, I watch a lot of Oprah, so I do good things. No, you were dead because of your sin. The wages of sin is death. So you work hard at your sin. You become really good at it. You come for time for payment, and they say death. That's what you get. You get death. The wages of sin is death. And not only that, but we have the power of sin that has ensnared us and encapsulated us. The book of Romans 6, go read chapter 6, 7, and 8, please. What happens in that chapter? They expound, Paul expounds on the fact that we were slaves to the power of sin. That sin, not only we were dead in our sins, but sin was our master. And a hard taskmaster, that sin would drove us into the, the, the grave. We were slaves to sin. Sin was our master. It had entranced us. But praise be to God, the God we in Him, we have redemption from sin, the penalty and the power of sin. And if you want to read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. Powerful, powerful stuff. I want to tell you right now that in, in the gospel, we understand that sin was a master. I did that illustration the other, other week where sin has got a noose tied around our neck and, and we are slaves to sin. So where sin pulls us, we have to go. We just don't have a choice. We pull a Hunty Cronia moment. The enemy Satan made me do it. We often are like that. I don't know what came about me. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I cheated on my wife. I don't know why I looked at it. I don't know why I didn't step up to the plate. I don't know why I lack courage in that moment. I don't know why I keep doing the same thing. I don't know why I keep falling into the same trap again and again. I don't know why. I'll tell you why. You're a slave to sin. Where he pulls you, you go. If he pulls you left, you go left. Where you're a rag doll in his hands, you cannot get free on your own accord. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It says, but Christ has redeemed us from this former way of life and has made us slaves to righteousness. So he's come and he's brought us back and paid the price and he's cut the noose around our neck and he leads us by the hand and wherever he goes, we become more righteous as we hold his hand. He goes left, I become more righteous. He goes right, I become more righteous. I become a slave to a new master called Christ. This is the Bible language. So I want to tell you this morning very strongly, there is no sin more powerful than the cross of Christ. Something has been paid. There's a debt that you owe that deserves death. The way of sin is death. Someone had to die. It was either us or it was a ransom payer. 
And that ransom payer's name was Jesus. He came and died a death. The wages of sin is death, and that was fully satisfied. Someone did die and took on the full payment of sin. Death for every one of us. So that we can be set free from the penalty and the power of sin. I pray this morning, more than just biblical information, this is very simple stuff, but I'm praying for the transaction of the Holy Spirit power to rip out of our lives the power of sin this morning. This morning, some of us, husbands, wives who've been battling with things, children, single people who've been struggling with the same problem for so long, cannot overcome it. The Bible says we have redemption from sin. And I pray this morning that something will start stirring in your heart. The word ignites it. Simple message, but profound. I can want to say that today you can be free. It can break the power of any sin now. I believe that. The cross of Christ stands tall this morning. And it's calling us now. I even believe possibly there's somebody right now who's either in an adulterous relationship or contemplating it or having thoughts around it. I have a word from God for you. Stop it! Now. This is a warning. A warning from the heaven to say stop it now. Make that decision now. You have redemption. God in His kind mercy is having me preach this this morning. Possibly for you, sir. Possibly for you, ma'am. Hear the word of the Lord. I want to tell you, test me very quickly on this. A few years ago, I was a young man who was battling with pornography. I could not get out of this. I was entrapped in it. I could not get my eyes away from the screen. I lived with this, this absolute guilt inside my heart. And there came a moment where I had to believe, a moment, a crisis moment, where I said, do I believe he can, where the songs I sing actually have the power to break the captivity of sin? And I, had to, I got so bang, I realized my own bankruptness, I had nowhere else to try. I'd for years tried to just do the 10 steps to walk free of porn, the, to stop doing it, to get rid of it. I just seemed to still find it. But one day I said, I have to believe that today in him we have redemption from the power of sin. And that day, that thing was broken. I tell you, church was a moment where I confessed it to a bunch of people. And in that moment, God set me free. I'm telling you, I'm not speaking from theoretical understanding. This is my life. And I pray that we'll understand the freedom that we have been given in Christ Jesus. First thing is, we are free from sin. Second thing is, we have been redeemed from the law. We were dead in our sins, but we were also disobedient to the law. The law stood against us. I'll tell you, the Bible also talks about in Romans 6, 7, 8, that we were slaves to the law. We had a master called the law, and he was a hard taskmaster. I was at uh, Candace and Mark's house on Friday, and I spilt the sugar. Ah, the, the lid just didn't want to come off, and I pulled it, and it came off big. And I had to go get the vacuum cleaner, the vacuum up, and Mark was following me saying, you missed the spot. You missed the spot. And over there, and I felt, I said to him, I'm going to start calling him the law because that's what the law does. No matter how hard we try to clean up our mess, he says, you missed a spot. There's still more there. Oh, oh, you forgot about that. That's what the law does, pointing out our flaws morning, noon, and night. The law stands against us. The law is only, is only there to point out us and the law has no power to save us. If you say, I want to live by the Ten Commandments, I want to say, you're going to live under a heavy bondage, a debt that cannot be paid. The law is only there to tell you you have a debt. The law is like the sheriff who comes and says, Sir, you haven't paid your fines. And the next day they'll come and say, You haven't paid your fines. You say, Well, I need some help. Well, it's not my job. My job is just to tell you, You haven't paid your fines. I want to tell you right now, the law cannot save you. 
If you think, I just want to live by the commandments, or just live a, if I live a good life, then I'll be okay. Or if I, no, 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 sir, ma'am, I want to tell you strongly, the law cannot save you. It, it puts us in prison. It puts us in bondage. I want to tell you, it's guilty. The law is powerless to save us. What happened was, we had a food fight years ago here, a youth evening. We had a food fight in the car park with like old, old veggies and stuff. It was a, it was a silly idea. Sorry, <laughs> silly idea. But the mess was so bad. On the, the, the literally stuff was squashed into the, it would not come off. And I, mean, I said, guys, please, it was like midnight. I said, please, we've got to clean the car park for Sunday. Please, guys. So my leader started, at the time, started cleaning up the, the car park. And I came out and I looked. And there was one girl who stood in the corner of the car park with a little broom she had found in the cupboard. And she had a little, little plastic thing. And she was scrubbing hard in the corner. And I watched her for a few minutes and thought, this will take till Monday, two weeks' time, if she carries on this way. I you tell her, it's really kind of you for doing this, but please stop. We need to get the host pipe in here. This is too big a deal. But I realize that we are like that. We think, well, there's a big mess. I've just got to start with a little bit of my own effort. If I just work hard enough, I'll get through it very Can I tell you, you'll be working until the day you die and you would not even started the debt that you owe. Sir, ma'am, we have a debt that is too big for us to clean up. But the good news is Romans 7 verse 6 says good things. Let's leave that scripture. Let's go to Colossians 2 verse 14. The first one, sin, is verse 13. Verse 14 is the next one. says this, He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Can I tell you something? If you believe in Christ Jesus, the law is done away with. He fulfilled the law. Christ fulfilled the law for us. If you want to keep on trying to attempt what the law said, good luck to you, but you will fail. The Bible tells me that Christ here, Colossians says, He cancelled it. He nullified it. It is powerless. It is gone. The master of the law has been, we have been died to the law and raised again in Christ. Romans 6 goes on and talks about the law as a husband. It says, unless we die to the law, we cannot live to Christ. If we are living with Christ and still in dabbling and saying, thinking we can still do it ourselves, do you know what that is? Spiritual adultery. Because we're loving another husband, loving another master. We have to be dead to the law to understand the fullness that Christ pays that debt. He cancelled the record of the written law. He cancelled it and what did he do? He nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross and the law has no power of its own to resurrect itself. So I want to ask you this morning, have you been set free from the law? The bondage of the accusation, the bony finger of the law who says you do not measure up. You know what Christ did on the day when he rose again? He broke that finger of the law. He silenced that barking dog. You might have been here and you might have been you know, got affairs in the back from years ago. You might have financial things that are so devastating behind you. You may have relational tension all over the show. And you, you don't know how to move on. You say, I just can't move on. Can I tell you right now, you have that accusation, the guilt, the shame that's gnawing at your heart. At night, you, you stay awake thinking about that thing you did or that someone did to you, and you cannot get away. You cannot run away from it. You try and run, but that trailer follows you all your life. Can I tell you what happens? Christ redeemed you to cut that trailer off. You do not have to walk around with that trailer any longer. That is redemption for you and I. We have been redeemed from sin. We've been redeemed from the law. And third thing is we've been redeemed from Satan's power from the dominion of darkness. We were dead in our sins, we were disobedient to the law, but we were doomed 
Because our master was Satan, who was hell-bent on our destruction. He came to rob, kill, and destroy. He has no other purpose. Mark said the other week that Satan is powerful. He is strong. You just have to look at how he's ensnared this earth. But I want to tell you something. The enemy uses guilt and shame and sin as his left, right hook combinations. You might be in the ring and you'd be trying to fight this thing off for years, but Satan just comes with the one hook of sin, bam! And like, I messed up. And you think just as you're trying to get back to your feet, he comes with guilt and condemnation and hits you with the other one. And as long as you and I try to fight this battle and stay in the ring and try and pay our debt ourselves, you will never get up from that fight. You'll lie there in a bloody mess, desperately trying to get free of this ring. I want to tell us, some of us have been in the ring for way too long. Some of us have, set, have had this, this thing for years. I believe there's people here who have for decades battled with something they did years ago. And do you know what that is? It's a spiritual oppression. The Bible talks around the spirit of fear. He did not give us a spirit of fear. And the problem is we so Christianize that that we think spirit of fear, it's like this Christian word. I'm battling with the spirit of fear these days. Do you know what a spirit of fear is? It's a spirit called fear. It's a fear personified. That is the enemy. If you want to have the spirit of peace, righteousness, and joy, it's found who? In the Holy Spirit. He personifies those things. It's not some thing that comes from heaven like a mist. No, it's a spiritual war that we're in. Spirit of fear, spirit of rejection is a spirit named rejection who comes to pull at your identity day in and day out. And he's a hard taskmaster who holds you and will not let go his slave. Spirit of depression, where you're in the valley and you cannot get out of it. I want to tell you, in him we have redemption from that valley. Spirit of lying, where you cannot get the truth out. You keep saying the wrongs, falsehood only just flows. You don't know how. You're going there, you're trying to even believe the lies yourself. Left, right hook, the enemy's got you. But I want to tell you, praise be to Jesus. That the cross, of, the cross of Christ was slammed in the middle of that ring. He walked up that hill that day with the cross and he slammed it on the top of the hill and he silenced that barking dog forever. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 Chapter verse 13 is our sin. Verse 14 is the law. Verse 15 says this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. I want to tell you, in Christ Jesus, in him, that's why I started with, if we get this in him and we say, I'm bankrupt, I'm not fighting this fight, I'm in him right now, today. Today, Christ comes into your, ba- into your story, into your life, no matter where it is, no matter how big the debt is, no matter how the mess is. You might say, this mess is going to take me 10 years. I say, sir, ma'am, today is the day of salvation. Christ walks into your story and he puts his cross in the middle of it and he says he shames the enemy. He disarms them. The weapons that they've been having of guilt and condemnation has been ripped away because Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In who? In him. If it's in you, there's condemnation. If it's in the church, it's condemnation. If it's in the law, there's condemnation. If there's in anything else but him, there's condemnation. But in Christ Jesus, there is none. How glorious is this gospel? I want to tell you, if you today are struggling with oppression, enemies' oppression in your life, depression, unforgiveness, lust, 
Fear is holding you down and you cannot get out of it. You feel, I've been battling this for too long. Today, sir, ma'am, today, Christ says, I disarm the enemy. And not only that, is he shamed them publicly. Eugene Peterson says, Christ on that day marched Satan naked down the high street as a conqueror with the conquered. Satan, naked, squirming, squealing, Satan, Christ, pulling him down the high street, shaming him, mocking him. I want to tell you, in Christ Jesus, Satan is shown for what he is, a toothless barking dog. In Christ Jesus. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. I want to go quickly. Third point, it's through his blood. Final point. It's not by power. Some of you might say, oh, I just need a powerful encounter with God, then I'll be free. I long for that day when revival will come into my life and then I'll be free. It's not what the Bible says. It's not by truth. I just need to read the word more. If I read the Bible enough, then I'll be free. That's not what the Bible says. It says, in Him, we have redemption through His blood. It's not by power. It's not by truth. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. You might say to me, why couldn't God just forgive us? I asked that question once. Why couldn't God just forgive us? Why did there have to be sin? Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It's quite barbaric. It seems quite strange. Why couldn't he, if he's, so, if he's God, just forgive us? Well, there's a problem. Tim Keller says this illustration. If you and I walk into the car park today and you see a young youth, a youth, with a baseball bat, and he's smashing your car, hitting the windshield in, hitting the windows out, doing all the tires smashing, and you see like, what's going on? So you run, you get a policeman, or a really big man named Andrew Van Rayen, you pull him and say, help me here. And you get to the guy, and the, the young man drops the baseball and says, I just don't know what came over me. I'm so sorry, can you forgive me? Now, and then the cop says, oh, come on, forgive him, come on, man. He's asked for forgiveness, it's good enough. The problem with that is, even if you're the most forgiving person the world is, even if you forgive him, you're still left with a broken car. Someone has to absorb that cost. So it's either going to be him, it's either going to be you or somebody else who's going to come and pay your debt. But the problem is, you can forgive him and he's like, thank you so much, you have a broken car. Something needs, a cost still needs to be paid. And that's the same understanding with God, that you and I have smashed in our cars, we've made a big mess of our lives. And he can't just forgive, because that means then, there's a loose end in our lives. The good thing with the gospel is that Christ died to tie up all the loose ends. I do not live with fear one day that I'm going to be find, I found out about one thing. I tell you, someday some of us live with this fear that we're going to be found out. Any moment, we're going to be found out. Or, or who I really am is going to be exposed. Can I tell you the great news is the blood of Jesus covers that. Covers every loose end. The blood of Jesus. He's not just some benevolent God who winks at your sin. It's okay. Don't worry, I'll just don't do it again. No, he's a God that died. The wage of sin is death, and he died. So we may live, not just crawl by, with a debt over our heads. I want to tell you, he would rather die than live without you. So he did die. He did die. He's a God who pays our debts. There's no loose ends. And Hebrews 9 verse 12 says this. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. It's not temporary. It's once for all time. 
It's not earthly. It's not paid with silver and gold or economics that can rust and spoil or fade. It's paid with the blood of Jesus, which never, ever spoils or fades. It is constant. It is once and for all time. It is complete. That's why on the cross, when Jesus died, he yelled out an economic term. He said, Tetelestai. It is finished, which is more well understood in that context as this. Paid in full. It's, it's redemption. This is redemption. That every area of life, your sin is paid for. The guilt, God Bible says, His blood cleanses, cleanses us of a guilty conscience. Your guilt and shame are done away with. And the power of the enemy that you feel you're under is done away with. This is the gospel. I finish with a story. There was a young boy who made a boat, carved out of wood. He put a little sail up. He loved it. He loved it so much, this little boat. And he played with it. And, and one day he thought, I'm going to take it out onto the, the big river down there. And he put it in. And as he put it in, running along the side, a massive wave came out of nowhere and just took it beyond his reach. And it went past. And he, he kept trying to follow it, but just picked up speed and disappeared around the corner. And his heart was broken. The boat was gone. Devastated. All his hard work and the pleasure of making it and playing with it. And then one day he was walking dejected down the street. He looked in a shop and in the front window of a shot, shop was a boat. His boat. And he stopped. That's not, I know the little, the crack in the side. I know that, the, the, I know the fabric I got from mom's cupboard. I know that boat. That's my boat. So he goes in the door, the bell rings and he goes to the guy and says, hey, that's my boat. The guy said, it could be for a hundred rand. He's like, no, 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 it's mine. I made it. Sorry, son, you're going to have to pay it. Sorry, that's my boat. That's, we, we've got it here. It's in our store. The boy protested, but after a while, realized it was a fruitless situation. So he walked out, and he went home, and he said, Mom, I need a job. He got a job, and he started working. He started working hard. He started washing the cars. He started mowing lawns. He started doing a newspaper route. He worked for weeks and weeks and weeks until he got this money together. And he walked in the shop with a hundred rand note, crisp hundred rand note. He slammed on the table, and he said, I want my boat back. He made it, and he paid for it. That's what Christ has done for you and I. You are made in His image. The enemy has distorted that and put a debt over our head because of decisions we've made. But today, Christ walks into the store and He says, I will pay for every mistake. I will pay for every error. I'll pay for everything that's been done to you if you let me. If you let my allow your story to be framed with in Him. You can have redemption this morning. Let's pray. I believe strongly this morning that we, as we sang in worship as well, it's a day of radical response. So often we just hear these things, we move out. As I said, I'm praying for the Spirit of God to move strongly on hearts. If you today know that you're in a situation, you don't know how you got there, maybe it was one bad decision, or maybe it was many bad decisions, or maybe it was somebody else's decision made for you on your behalf, and you've been entrapped, and you cannot get out, of a sin pattern, of guilt. You've been, work, you've been so guilty. You cannot, you cannot escape the guilt. Or maybe you're saying, I've been under the enemy's power. It's this spirit of depression. I cannot do it anymore. spirit of fear. I cannot do it any longer. Today, if you understand, if you make a decision to take your lot, your debt, and put it in Him, you can have redemption. 
your debts paid in full. If that's you this morning, I'd love you just to raise your hand. Just so in, a, in a response of faith. Thank you, thank you. Please, just in response of faith, don't try keep it up. Father, I pray as these hands go up, this is a radical response to you, not to me, not to a word. I encourage you, if there's a moment here, please, I don't do it to count numbers, but put your hand up just if you need that, because this is you responding to God, not to me. It's not in church. It's not in response. It's in Him. Father, I thank you for these hands, these more, but more importantly, these hearts that are opening up to you. I pray for your blood, your blood to be poured out over all these people, that their guilt and shame is washed away, that the sting of their sin is removed, Father. And today you're God who says, I'm a God of new beginnings. I thank you, God, that in you we have redemption through your blood, the forgiveness of sins, to the praise of your grace. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.